This is the Byron Bledsoe Podcast, Senior Pastor of C3 Church in Orlando, Florida. Thank you so much for checking out today's message. We hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. Now, I don't know about you, but one of the things I love to do is to look at old photos, uh, pictures of when our kids were younger, different stages of life, different places that we've lived, uh, each of our kids as they were growing up, different birthday parties or different sporting events or ballet recitals, all those things. I, I love just looking back at old pictures. We were in Texas recently and drove by uh, what used to be the elementary school that I went to as a kid. It's been torn down since then, but I, I, I looked at that area and I think about the pictures that I've seen of that school before they tore it down. And there's one particular picture of a playground, a small recess area or playground where we would go when I was first grade, second grade, real young in elementary school. And if you could see the picture of that playground, you would notice some, some big tires that kids play on and the different uh, equipment that you play on in a playground. But I would see something in that picture that you would not see. I would see the very spot where one day on the playground, I was wrestling with this other kid. I'm not going to tell you his name, but I want to, but I'm not. I was wrestling with this kid on the playground, and he wet his pants. I got peed on in first grade. And I remember we stood up, and I looked, I was like, you peed on me. And then I responded in a very um, angry and harsh way to let him know how I felt about it. But part of the reason I was so embarrassed was not just what had happened. Everybody on the playground started pointing at me and laughing at me. And if you could see the picture of the playground, you wouldn't see any of that. But I see it because I was there. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like in life that that the world is just pointing and laughing at you? Maybe you feel like God is pointing and laughing at you. And we go through life trying to avoid that. We try desperately not to be the one people are pointing and laughing at. So often we join the pointing and laughing because we're just grateful that it's not us. It's somebody else that the negative attention's on. And not just as kids. As adults, we worry. Are they going to notice this about me? Are they going to think that's weird about me? Are they going to make fun of me or this? Are they going to think less of me about this? Are they going to talk about me and point and laugh at me? And so... All of us can live with this kind of insecurity that comes from the pointing and the laughing. And as kids, when you're in middle school, it's the pimple on your face that you hope that no one notices. But as adults, we wonder, okay, are they going to see me and know that even though my dad's older, he's in rehab for drinking and he's been several times? Are are they going to be pointing and laughing in their minds at me? Are they going to see her as she goes from one bad relationship to another and it seems like one bad choice to another, but instead of having compassion, be pointing and mocking and on the inside laughing? And as we get older, life gets more complicated. And we walk through life feeling like we're being noticed for the negative. We're being pointed at and laughed at by people. And when it's not true, it hurts. But when what they're saying is true, it hurts even more. And in all the years, one of the things I think I've noticed and I'm learning is that often the people that are best at pointing and laughing 
are people that are highly religious. There's kind of a, a, a church culture, in many ways unique to our nation, where religious people are very judgmental and very harsh. And you can be in a place where if you feel that long enough from people, if, if you feel the pointing and the laughing and the, the, the pushback towards you because of something going on in your life, that, that may be a consequence of choices you've made or it may not be. If you feel it long enough, you can begin to feel isolated. You can begin to believe that maybe there's just something wrong with me. Maybe it really is all about me. Maybe, maybe even God has favorites and I'm just not one of them. So often, religion and religious people can make you feel entirely hopeless. And Jesus knew what it was to deal with religious people who were harsh and who were critical. In John chapter 8, one of my favorite passages in all the Bible, one of my favorite examples of just the love of God, because I think it speaks to us in such an encouraging way. In John chapter 8, there's this, there's this encounter that happens with Jesus and some religious leaders. The Bible says at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees, highly qualified in their own minds, religious people, brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. How how humiliating. She's caught in the act of adultery, in the literal act. And I don't know if you do this. Sometimes when I read the Bible, I have questions in my mind, and I'm thinking, okay, how did they know they were going to catch her in the act of adultery? And when they caught her, what were they looking at and watching when they caught her in the act of adultery? And would that not be sin as well if they stayed there doing that? And why did they bring her? Why didn't they bring the guy also? And nothing about how the religious people acted feels consistent or compassionate. See, religion never cares about people. Religion only cares about its agenda. And the religious leaders, they want to tell everybody what everybody else is doing wrong, but they never focus on what they need to do or who they really are. Let me ask you, do you think this lady in this passage that is inspired by God, protected and preserved by God for over 2,000 years so that you and I could read about it today to understand something about how damaging religion is and how loving Jesus is. Do you think this lady felt loved by religious people? Religious people love their standards. They love their traditions and their rules, but they don't really love people. Have you ever noticed that highly religious people, and maybe you've been one in your past, maybe you are one, have you ever noticed that highly religious people spend all of their time pointing out everybody else's faults, but no time correcting their own? If you were this lady, how would you feel? What do you think she thought about religion or religious people in this moment? And I think the bigger question Because as Christ followers, we're following Jesus, we're following the the teachings of Jesus. The the bigger question for us is, how does Jesus respond? And notice what he says in verse 5. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They're asking Jesus. They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write in the ground with his finger. He doesn't respond verbally. He just bends down and starts to write in the dirt. Now, most biblical scholars believe, we don't know what he wrote, but most believe he began to write down 
the sins of the people that were accusing her. Because notice what happens. When they kept on questioning, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. He continues writing. And Scripture goes on to say that they begin to just disperse and leave. The older ones first. Why the older ones first? Because the longer you live, the more you sin. There's more stuff to write down about you. Because none of us are perfect. See, when we have a mindset of judging others for their sins, we have a mindset of religion. Religion divides people into categories, right and wrong, good and bad. It's what it does. It's divisive. But the reality is we have no right to judge anyone. We've been called to love everyone. Verse 9, notice, at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with a woman still standing there. And Jesus straightened up and asked her. He could say anything to her. But notice what he does. Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Think, think about this moment. He's the living son of God. She's caught in sin. And he has a moment where he could say anything, anything to her. He could tell her how bad she is. <clears throat> he could tell her the, the messed up consequences that are going to follow if she continues in this kind of behavior. He, he could humiliate her. He can say anything, but what does he say? He says, I don't condemn you. Just go and leave your life of sin. He tells her the truth. He doesn't say, oh, it was a minor thing, no big deal. He calls it sin, but his focus is not on the sin. It's on her and loving her. So he tells her the truth, not to harm her, but to help her. It is our motivation when speaking hard truth to people to harm them or to heal them? What is your approach? What is my approach? In people that we feel like are messing up in life, maybe sin or, or maybe just choices they're making, what is our approach? Jesus always points out the truth to help us. He, he points out our sin to show us how to leave it and how to live better. Jesus is the Son of God, and here's what's interesting. He commands her to leave her life of sin. So there's an obvious question. If Jesus is saying, hey, go and leave your life of sin, here's the question. Does he really believe that she can? Of course. It would be cruel of Jesus to ask us to do things he knows we can't do. The truth is, Jesus believes in us often more than we believe in him. And he understands with his spirit living in our lives, when we know him, that, that who he is inside us is bigger than anything we're facing, and we can do much more through him than we could ever begin to realize. This lady is not defined by her sin. She's defined by the reality that she is loved and protected by Jesus because that's what true love does. While sharing truth, it protects, and she's offered a brand new life. So if you've spent your life, or maybe you're in a, you're in a season where you're feeling pointed at, you're feeling like you're the one they laugh about, talk about, make fun of behind your back. You feel like your bad news days have been on the front page of everyone's newspaper and they're noticing all of the issues and the problems in your life. I think what this passage says loud and clear to you today, what it says loud and clear to me today is one simple thing. Jesus 
loves you. He's all about helping you, not harming you. He didn't point her to religion. He pointed her to a journey that would lead to freedom. And so, hey, C3, if I could talk to you for a moment, one of my biggest prayers, and it has been from the beginning of C3, is I I pray that we continually lose our religion because I believe there's nothing more damaging to society than religion. Uh, On one occasion, Jesus is talking to some religious leaders, and it's interesting to me, if you study the pages of the New Testament, Jesus came the strongest and spoke the hardest words to those that were highly religious who had a problem showing compassion to other people. And what's interesting to me, in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus says these words. I love the way the message translation puts it. He says, I've had it with you. You're hopeless. You religious scholars, you Pharisees, frauds. He calls them frauds. Your lives are roadblocks to God's kingdom. You refuse to enter, but you won't let anyone else enter either. You're hopeless. You religious scholars and Pharisees, you you frauds. He continues to drive home that point. You go halfway around the world to make a convert, but once you get him, you make him into a replica of yourselves, double damned. You're hopeless, you religious scholars and Pharisees, frauds. You're like manicured grave plots. Grass clipped, the flowers bright, but six feet down, it's all rotting bones and worm-eaten flesh. People look at you and think you're saints, but beneath the skin, you're total frauds. Jesus has some strong opinions about when we function in a religious way, where we make life and systems of belief all about good and bad and right and wrong. If you're embracing religion, you're not embracing Jesus. Now, before you have a stroke, let let me explain what I mean. If you're holding up your religion in the highest place in your life, if you're more proud of yourself and who you are than the people that you look down on, if you have a way about you where you make people feel less than when you're around them, and, and you've always got the better story, the prouder moment, you've always been more religious, and you put on this hypocritical front in front of everybody, acting like you're perfect when we all know you're not, if, if you're putting religion above Jesus, that's called sin. And a religious culture is a Jesus-killing culture. And it's part of the reason so many churches are dying in this nation. We are far more proud of our religion and what we believe and who's right and who you should vote for and how you should function. We're far more proud of that often than we are of Jesus. You know what's interesting to me? Jesus never says to this lady, go now and be like the religious people. That's not what he says. So what about you? Do you need to lose your religion? Do you show compassion to people even when they mess up? Or are you quick to want to throw stones verbally? On the playground of life, as Christ's followers, we can be less afraid of being pointed at if we're busy rescuing others. Because one thing religion does not do is forget. But God, God happens to specialize in forgetting. In fact, he promises that when he forgives our sin, he forgets it and remembers it no more. And the more we become like him, the more we'll be willing to forget even those who've, the issues of those who've hurt us. It's something that is supernatural. It's something that only comes from God. But Jesus offers this life of freedom and says you can walk in a life not about religion and being religious, but about a journey 
of knowing God in a personal way. How would your life change if you walked through every day with the confidence of you know God and He knows you and He's living inside you compared to trying to be good enough that day? How would your marriage change in whatever season you're walking through in your marriage if you walk through the day knowing you're deeply loved by God and His Spirit is living inside you and, and He's going to help you love better than you can love? How would your parenting change if you could walk through the day knowing, man, I know God and He knows me and He lives inside me and He's going to give me wisdom because I don't have it all figured out. Parents, we don't have it all figured out. I don't have it all figured out, but I want the best for my kids, so I need the wisdom of God in my life. The freedom that is offered, the confidence that is offered, the, the overwhelming peace that is offered by God when we walk in relationship with Jesus rather than walking in the bondage of religion. And so maybe today the step you need to take is to you need to surrender to that freedom that Jesus offers. You need to commit your life to Christ and become a Christ follower and step into the freedom of the forgiveness that Jesus offers and the power that he offers to come into your life. If that's where you are, I want to invite you to pray a very simple prayer. In this moment, just bow your heads, close your eyes, and pray this prayer. Dear God, I know that I need you. Jesus, please come into my life. Please forgive my sin and help me to live for you. As best I know how, I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, I would love to know that. Because I'd love to be praying for you by name this week. If you would just shoot me a text, just send your first name to 407-487-8311. 407-487-8311. Shoot me that name. I'd love to be praying for you by name. I'd also love to send you a free gift. So, Shoot me the text, and then anybody, if there's something I can be praying for you about, maybe you just prayed with me, maybe you didn't, shoot me an email, hello at c3church.cc. I'd love to be praying for you this week because, hey, you really do matter to us. We love you. We miss you. I hope you have an amazing week. God bless you. We'll see you next Sunday. Hey, thanks so much for joining us today. We hope this message encouraged you and inspired you. Would you share it with someone that you're connected with? And also, if you want to be a part of supporting this incredible life-giving movement, you can text C3 Orlando to 77977. You can also go to our safe and secure giving website at givec3.cc. Listen, we love you guys. We're praying for you. We'll see you next week.